Hi, this is Robert Furl, and welcome to our special Tuesday edition of TruthQuest podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. Believing that God's Word is sufficient for all things, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for correction, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. Now I am off tomorrow, so we decided to go ahead and do a Q&A today. We wanna to welcome you. If you have a question, write the word question out down or a Q or a question mark, and then write out your question, make sure that it makes sense and then reread it a couple of times, make sure you got it, and then go ahead and submit it, and we'll get to it in the course of our Q&A. Our first question comes from our Bible study or our teaching from this last weekend, where we were in the book of Luke, and Jesus tells a parable that is confrontive, it seems a little combative, and he points out the wickedness or the great evil of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders who are going to kill Jesus. This death that he dies, they're not just satisfied with killing him, but they want to send him to the cross and they manipulate the Romans to be able to do it. And Jesus points out their evil. Now, we know that the Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked who can know it. We know that compared to God, we all fall short of his glory. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. However, there is by human standards, not by God's standards, but by human standards, human goodness. Then there's people who are bad. Then there's people who are neutral. And then there's another level. And that other level is evil. Satan has reached another level of evil. And where does this evil come from? Did God create evil was the question that we have. Now, if you ever have any questions about the studies that we do on Wednesday night or Saturday morning, remember we're gonna start off the next Q&A by answering questions from that study. So if you have any questions about that particular parable, uh, we talked about Jesus uh, rebuking them, telling them fall on the rock and be broken or the rock will fall on you and crush you, and that he was gonna kill them and give the vineyard away to another and the vineyard represents Jerusalem. But I wanna specifically look at this evil that would take an innocent man. And that's what the whole thing that happens to Jesus in the last day of his life before he's in the grave for three days looks so bad is because you've got such a contrast. You've got an awful, horrible, excruciating death and you have an innocent man who has healed lepers who's forgiven a woman caught in the act of adultery, who forgave a prostitute that wept and cried at his feet and he wiped her tears with her hair. And this loving Jesus, who is innocent, is convicted, manipulated to die this brutal death and betrayed by two of his disciples. And he points out their evil that's there. So let's talk about evil. E evil has, um, has a long, the, the question of did God create evil or where did evil come from has a long history. It goes all the way back to Aust Augustinian dealing with it, uh, to Irenaeus, one of the, another early church father who dealt with it. Uh, before the time of Christ, philosophers philosophized about evil and where evil came from. Uh, evil is the absence of good. So in order for God to, to give man a choice, and God gave angels a choice as well, whether they wanna serve him or not, and God gave us a choice. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. If God created me to love him no matter what, then I would be a robot. And since I'm not a robot, I made a choice. When I was 14 years old, and then again when I was 19 years old, to follow him. And then I made a choice to move towards the goodness of God. But if you make a choice not to, then you move towards wickedness or you move towards evil. And there is great evil in the world and there is evil in the world. And we've seen some great evil here recently in, a, an, in another school shooting in Texas that is just a, a kind of evil. We say, where does that come from? 
It comes from a rejection of God. Adam and Eve were created good. Everything God made is good. And then Adam and Eve chose not to follow God. And like Satan, when he chose not to follow God, then he became evil. Adam and Eve now have the capacity, and this is what Satan was all about, that we would know that if they ate the fruit of the tree, they would know good from evil. And so evil is the result of rejecting God. Just like darkness isn't a thing, you can't fill up a jar with darkness. Uh, You can't put darkness into your pocket. I guess your pocket's dark, but darkness is the absence of light. You can have a hole in the middle of a donut, but without the donut, you don't have a hole. You can have Swiss cheese with holes in it, but without the Swiss cheese, you don't have holes. Holes are like evil are the absence of something else. And so uh, evil is in the world because God is good. And when you remove God out of it, then you end up getting evil. So the answer, did God create evil? No. Now there's another answer and it's a, there's another question and it's a deeper question. And that is, did God allow evil? The answer to that is yes. God could have snuffed out evil as soon as it started. And there is evil in the world. There's horrible, horrific evil in the world, but God has a plan for it. And the plan is revealed in what Jesus went through, that evil men brought him to great suffering so he could bring salvation to the entire world. And what a great picture of how God uses it. And by the way, there is a world coming where there is no evil. Right now, we're living in a world where there's evil. There are, uh, not only is there evil, but there are people who will deny and and like Judas did betray. Uh, And we know that one day there's a world where there's no more suffering, there's no more sorrow, there's no evil at all. So God did create us for a world without evil, but God uses evil even in our lives because God uses all things to work together for the good. So God has a purpose for evil and a purpose for suffering. And uh, that is a question that goes beyond, did God create evil, which is what we were asked um, to Why does does God allow evil? So if you have any further questions that have to do with our study from this last week, you can ask those, as well as any questions about um, anything you've got on your mind today, uh, like, uh, um, well, apologetics, uh, biblical questions. Uh, It's good to see you guys here. And thank you, Keith. It looks like Daniel and I think Tyler are joining us, uh, moderators today. It's good to see you guys here. Good to have you here on this special day um, that we're doing our Truth Quest podcast Q&A on. Uh, all right, so we're going to get our take our uh, second question today, and I appreciate seeing you guys here. Uh, we're going to bring in Jari. Jari, good to see you. Hope things are going well. Hope you're blessed. Uh, Jari says, if God knew Satan would sin, why did he create him? Where does pride come from? So God, I remember Satan was one of the chief angels. And an interesting thing about Satan is that his name is not Lucifer. That's why when the movies make his name Lucifer and they talk about Lucifer, it's funny because it's not. That comes from Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 14 where God is mocking Satan. Satan was one of the archangels or one of the chief angels up in heaven. And he wanted his throne to be above the throne of God. And God created angels in glory with the ability to choose to walk away or to choose to go their own way. And so Satan wanted to put his throne above God's throne. You and I were created in a fallen world and we can choose to move into a glorious world. They were in a glorious world and they chose to to walk away and, and fell into the world that we're in. And Satan is the great example of evil. Satan means opposer. Um, The devil means accuser. Lucifer in, in Isaiah, God was mocking him. How far you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Because he wanted his throne to be above the throne of God. There's another place in the Bible where Jesus is called the morning star. Lucifer is Latin for morning star. And God was sarcastically saying to Satan, 
how you've fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, O morning star. He wanted to be the first star that shines in the morning, but he's not. And I think it's great that we don't even know his name. We know Michael's name. We know uh, Gabriel's name, but we don't know Satan's name. That is, you could look up the passage yourself. You can see that he is mocking him there when he calls a morning star. And this is another question that we've had. Why does God call Satan and uh, morning star? And why is Jesus called morning star? And the answer to that is they're not. So God created the angelic realm, powers and principalities. These are the most powerful angels. He created them with ranks, powers and principalities and a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. And I think that those ranks are among angels and among demons. Michael, the archangel, is called the great prince of the people of Israel in Daniel chapter 12. And so I don't know if some say the Bible talks about uh, Satan's body being musical instruments. And there are some who say that he was the worship leader in heaven. I'd have to go back and look at those passages to see if that's really what they're saying. I've learned that a lot of times when people say something, doesn't necessarily mean what they say it says. Um, But we don't really know what it was over, but he and other angels chose to fall, chose to, to move away from God. And that they didn't have to. This was their choice, just like you and I had a choice. But for whatever reason, God doesn't allow angels to be redeemed. We get to be redeemed. We are born into a fallen world and we get to choose to live redeemed in a world where there is no evil and no wickedness. Now, why did God create Satan knowing that he was going to fall? Why did God create angels knowing that they were gonna fall and bring evil into the world? I think it's the same reason God allowed evil. It's the same reason God allows suffering because God has a plan. God has a purpose to use these fallen angels. God has a plan to be able to bring good out of everything that comes our way. And even when we are affected by a demonic spirit, God can bring good out of it because God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him, to those who called according to his purpose. Now, God did not create sin and God didn't create pride, but pride is the result of someone exalting themselves above their measure, thinking too much of themselves, taking too much on when it comes to the praise of men. That's pride. And pride is called the initial sin. Because Satan said, I will make my throne above your throne. So that's where pride came from. So if God knew Satan would sin, why did he create him? I think because God's got a plan. Because there's this world and then there's eternity. In eternity, Satan and the demons are locked away. Evil is no more. Suffering is gone. We're living now for Christ sacrificing our lives now so we can gain that eternity. And I think that's a really important point to make when you're talking about the existence of Satan. And we could ask why God created us. Um, Why would God create someone knowing that they wouldn't make a commitment? Because God gave them a chance to make a commitment and they could make it. And if someone says, it's not fair that I'm not gonna make the commitment, then make it. But I wanna make it. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. All right. So thank you, uh, Jari, for your question. Uh, Very good, very thoughtful question. Uh, We got on here uh, when Andre didn't expect it, so he couldn't get first. All right, so thank you very much uh, for your question. If you're new here, we wanna welcome you to Truth Quest Podcast. You can subscribe for this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. You're gonna get our full-length teachings two a week. You're gonna get our hot topics, and you're gonna get our Q&As normally two a week. Like I said, I'm taking tomorrow off, so I came on to do a Q&A here now. So if you have a question, you're joining us, you have a question, it can be on anything, then write the word question in front of it, write out your question, make sure it makes sense. Sometimes when I'm reading the questions, I have trouble figuring out exactly what they are and maybe answer them wrongly or don't answer the question you're really asking, and then go ahead and submit them. So we have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Uh, Hello, Fact Check These Hands, good to see you. Uh, Regarding Amos 5.13, does it apply today? 
Should we call out evil or be silent? All right, so Amos 5.13, I'm not sure what passage that is. So let me go ahead and go there and I'll put it up on the screen for you to be able to find. Amos 5.13, and by the way, fact check these hands, I appreciate you putting the reference in here so that we can take time to look it up, that way we can all look at it together and maybe work through this question. So um, got it here. Let me go ahead and put it up on the screen. And you know what? I want to take a one more quick look at your question um, regarding Amos 5.13. Does it apply today? Should we call out evil or be silent? All right, good. So let's go ahead and take a look at the, the passage. So it says, um, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. All right, so obviously said to Israel, right? And Israel is under the law. So I think it's a legitimate question to ask, is this a statement that is for us today? Can we rebuild it other places? I wanna come back out here just a moment and I wanna go back up just a little bit and see if reading this in context wouldn't help us. Um, so, Yeah, let's go back a little bit. I think it might help us to go back a little bit. All right, so he's talking to Israel. Amos is bringing a prophecy against Israel. And he says in verse 11, therefore, because you tear down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them. One of the reasons God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was because they didn't take care of the poor. One of the reasons that there are poor here is so that those that have means would have mercy and give to the poor. And when people take advantage of the poor, the Bible speaks very poorly of it. The uh, talks about God's judgment. And um, he says to them, you shall not dwell in the houses that you are preparing. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of the wine. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting poor. So he must be talking to the judges at this point. And I'm just gonna make that guess. I'd like to go back to verse one and just see if we could figure out who he's talking to in this particular passage. But I think he's talking to the, the judges uh, because these would be the judges, um, the priests, the ones who would mediate between people. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just. See, they're supposed to be treating the just right and taking bribes. It's definitely talking about justice, diverting the poor from the justice at the gate. So the gate was the places that they would hear cases between people. So these guys are the ones who are in charge of judges in whatever days that Amos was living. Therefore, the prudent keeps silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live, says the Lord God, your host will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice. So now we get that he's talking to the leaders at the gate who are perverting justice. So he tells those leaders, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may, that, uh, it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious on you, the remnant of Joseph. So here's how this would apply. Would it be for us today? It is for those who are passing judgment. Now, you and I are not supposed to judge people just kind of blindly, right? We're not supposed to put motives to people's hearts. It doesn't mean we can't say that's sin and that's wrong. The Bible says, if anyone is in sin, you who are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of gentleness and correct them. And so you, in order to understand how to overcome sin, We've got to identify it and help people. Jesus said, take the, stop, the plank out of your own eye to help get the speck out of somebody else's eye. But there are people who are judges. These were, this was a theocracy at the time. This is God's people bringing justice at the gate. And the gate of the city was the place where they would give justice. So if you are a judge today, if you judge your children, if you are at work and you're an in H HR, human resources, and you're making judgments about people. 
If you are a judge in the city or a judge in the county, then this would apply to you. When you have to make judgments on with people, this is what you want to do. Hate evil, love good, establish justice, which is treating people correctly. Don't treat people off poorly in the gate. When you're passing judgment, then make sure that you establish justice in the gate because that's where the gate's at. The gate is the place where they, they would gather together and they would judge people, have their trials, and they would also judge between people. So it was like civil court. And then it says, and then if you're that kind of a judge, it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So I wanna go back to verse one here, and I wanna just see if we get, um, let's just go back. I went back to verse one, I'm gonna bring it back up on here. I just wanna read the first few verses. Hear the word which I take up against you, uh, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She rises no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to rise up uh, for, uh, rise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by the thousands shall have a hundred left, which goes out by, okay, here we go, call to repentance. For thus says the Lord, let's go to four, let's go to verse four. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over Bethsaida. These were places of false worship at that time. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out his fire. All right, so it doesn't really give us, um, at this point, them being judges, but it certainly does when it starts talking about those who are at the gate. All right? Okay, so um, let's go back to your question here. Regarding Amos 5.13, does it apply to us today? Yes, I, I think it can, because all of us at some point are going to have to judge, even if it's got to be between your pets. I'm joking, but you want to you judge justly with your children, with um, your employees. Um, should we call out evil or be silent? Um, I think that that's going to have to have some nuance. Fact check these hands. I think that there's a time to speak up, there's a time to be quiet. There's a lot of evil going on in the world in the days of Jesus. But Jesus had another mission to save the, the, the biggest mission and didn't say a lot about the evil that was going on around him. Even when he was kind of baited to do so, he didn't say a lot about the evil in the world around him. I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying we seek God. We look for his direction. We're led by the spirit, sometimes call out evil. I, I think, as I said, these school shootings that are taking place, this one recently, it's evil to go into an elementary school and shoot children. And, and there's nothing wrong with calling that out. Nothing wrong with calling out evil when we see it done to someone and taking the stand on the, on the side that is right. But I do think there is some nuance to it. And I think we want to walk in wisdom and we've got to know the right time and the right place. That's what wisdom does saying the right thing at the right time in the right place. So you can say the right thing at the wrong time. So just making sure. Um, but I, I would think that over the course of time, we would definitely want to call out evil. That would be something that we would want to do for sure. So if you're joining us here for the very first time, really glad to have you here. I hope that you guys are blessed. Uh, if you have a question, then you can write the word question before the question write out your question, read it a couple times, make sure it makes sense, then go ahead and submit it. You can tell that I've gotten a few questions that I'm like, oh, what? what? And I've also gotten questions that I've answered and then realized later on that's not what they were asking just because I wasn't able to clearly see what the question was uh, right away the first time. But good to see you guys here and good to have you here with us, uh, Tyler, as well. Um, so I appreciate you moderators that are here. Uh, Jari, I'm going to go ahead and bring in another question from you. Looks like it is related. Jari says, what would happen if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned and let evil into the world? Would this be a new heaven and earth? Um, again, Jari, hard to answer the hypothetical questions because 
God kind of had in mind what God had in mind, and this is not what happened. But we do know that sin entered into the world and the world fell because of Adam and Eve, but sin was already around because Satan had fallen. He was swept from heaven, the serpent of old, the dragon. And we know that during the tribulation period, he's cast down to this earth. So we could speculate what kind of things might have happened. How would evil have entered the world if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen then? Would they have done it later on? Would someone else have done it? Would there be people who would be born without a sin nature because Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature? And then other people who were born with sin nature, what would that world look like? So we could really get crazy with this. Um, I don't know how evil would have entered into the world without Adam and Eve, um, but I doubt it would have been a new heaven and a new earth. Remember that God not only frees this world, and Romans chapter eight talks about this. It talks about us that are, we have been redeemed. Our, our spirits, our souls have been redeemed and we have eternity in our hearts. We are born again. We have spirit, a spirit that is on its way to living forever with God. But the world around us hasn't been redeemed. And they are, the world around us is desiring that they could be redeemed. And when God does that, he's going to lock Satan up. Then he's going to release him. Then he's going to throw Satan and all of the angels into hell that was prepared for Satan and his angels. And then in eternity, not only is there no more evil, but there's no more demons. There's no more sorrow and no more pain. Heaven is truly a great place. It is the world that God intended and why he wanted to get us into heaven through this world. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. I don't understand it completely, but that's exactly what God did. God wanted to bring us into, God wanted to bring us into heaven by bringing us through this place where he had a purpose for the demonic forces that would fall for evil that would be in the world for people who betray people and for suffering. And just like God brought salvation into the world through all of those things. So God can do works in our lives and do those things as well. All right, Jari. So thank you very much. Um, good thoughts. When we start thinking about evil and Satan and the things that are taking place and going on and does God allow good and evil or not? Uh, we have a question from Tyler. Tyler, good to see you. Appreciate you. Uh, Tyler, what was Judas's deal? Was he always in, in it to betray Jesus or did something happen along the way? And how did no one pick up on it? Yeah, those are some good questions. Let's see, let's, let's break them down. What was Judas's deal? It seems to me when I study Judas, because Judas had this great regret. It seemed like repentance too late, but it was such regret that he went out and hung himself and he took the silver, which was important to him at one time and threw it back into the temple. And all of this was foretold by the way, in the old Testament that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and that it would be cast back into the, the temple and that they would buy potter's land with it and that he would hang himself there. And it seems that the rope broke, maybe he was there for a few days and his body fell down and dashed open on the rocks. Um, I think Judas believed Jesus had all this power and could do great things. But I think Judas had a plan for Jesus instead of following the plan Jesus had for him. So it's like people today, God, we hear people say that God says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What's God's plan for you, Tyler? What's God's plan for me? But some people love God and have a wonderful plan for his life. And I think that was Judas's deal. And it was to deliver him from the Romans. We learned that not only Judas had that thought, but the disciples on the Emmaus road said, we had hoped that he would deliver us from the Romans. So it was within the disciples that Jesus had come to deliver them from the Romans. 
when there was a greater work that God wanted to deliver them from sin. The Romans were typically, they didn't know that. They didn't know the greatest need was not to be delivered from the Romans, but to be delivered from sin. Was he always in it to betray Jesus? Um, or did something happen along the way? And how did no one pick up on it? Um, I don't think he was always in it to betray Jesus, but I do think that he lacks character. The Bible tells us that he was a thief, that he stole from the money box, which is just interesting, isn't it? That God would take a thief and choose him to be the one to hold the funds. Like it was like a test or a, an unveiling. Maybe God sometimes pushes us, puts us into positions as an unveiling of what's really inside of our hearts. Charles Wendall said, for every one man, for every 100 men who could handle failure, there was only one who could handle success. And that he was a thief and that Jesus gave him an opportunity to not be is absolutely amazing. So we know that he had problems, that he wasn't, that, and, and, and who doesn't, right? I mean, all 12 of the apostles had problems, we have problems, but Judas seems to have this level that's one up. He's, he's not in it, he's not honest, he's stealing, he's not sincere. And so that causes problems. He's got other reasons, other things he wants to do. And so I think what happened to Judas along the way was, is that he had an opportunity, he thought, to push Jesus that he had seen walk on water, calm the water, feed the 5,000. And I think that Judas was like, I'm gonna cause a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders and Rome, and he'll bring the kingdom on. Kind of like sometimes today, we think we can bring the return of Jesus by witnessing to the last person who gets saved. When the time is probably set, I would love to see as many people saved as possible. And I would love to see the last person saved before the rapture of the church. Um, but the gospel we preach to all the world and then the end will come. But I think that, that Judas was trying to speed things up. It's suggested that politicians could be dangerous because they may want to do policies that are going to speed up the return of Jesus Christ. And we know the return of Jesus is great for Christians, but it's not good for this world. It's the beginning of the worst thing that this world will ever see. So I think that Judas was trying to manipulate God, tried to manipulate Jesus into doing what he wanted him to do. And interestingly enough, God had a plan for that too. And God knew about it beforehand. And God let us know this about Judas so that they weren't surprised. That, you know, this isn't something that took Jesus by surprise or took the disciples by surprise. Excuse me, it took the disciples by surprise, but it didn't take the Father by surprise. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew about it. And uh, that is, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, another question that we can ask about Judas when we start talking about Judas is, was he predestined to do this? Did he have a choice? Because it was written about him in the Old Testament, did he have to do it? Could it have been another? Or if he wasn't gonna do it, would God not have given us those prophecies in the Old Testament? A lot of interesting stuff around Judas. Thank you, Tyler, for your question. I really do appreciate it. If you are joining us for the very first time on TruthQuest Podcast Q&A, really glad to have you guys here. You can sign up for TruthQuest Podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Just look for TruthQuest Truth Quest Podcast with Robert Furrow. You're going to get our full-length teachings, our hot topics, and the Q&As. And uh, you can listen to them while you're driving down the road and uh, catch up on, on, on some teachings that you may have missed. And um, if you have a question and you join us for the first time, love to have you join us. If you have any question about God, um, then go ahead and uh, submit it and read it a couple of times, put the word question in front of it, uh, and we will answer them. So we have a question from Eugene, and Eugene, something I mentioned earlier, um, Eugene says, question, Satan's name was Lucifer, or am I mistaken? Let me see if I could pull this passage up, and um, we can look at it together. I think it's Isaiah 14, 12. I might be wrong, and it might take me a minute to find it, but I think that's it. Um, let's see, almost there. 
yeah, it's, um, yeah. All right, so let's go there. Let me go ahead and put this up on screen. Thank you, Eugene, for your question. I'm gonna go ahead and put this, uh, the scriptures up on the screen and we're gonna read them. No, not that one, this one. All right, here we go. Um, so this is Isaiah 14, 12, and there is within this prophecy to a king, all of a sudden it becomes a type of Satan. And here's what we learn about Satan. How you've fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, let me see if I can do this. Um, let me take a moment. Let me take a moment to come out of this and see if I can quickly find the Amplified Bible. See if that helps us. Let me just, just take a look here. Um, let me go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and go back to the King James because it doesn't really bring that up. And let me just explain to you what's going on here. So, um, all right. So how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. So the word Lucifer in Latin means Venus or morning star. Jesus, and I think it's the book of first Peter is called the bright and morning star. And so can Jesus and Lucifer have the same name? I think what God's doing here is being sarcastic. We'll, we'll read the rest of it to see how it's that, that plays out here. But I think he's being sarcastic. He's saying, how you have fallen from heaven, O Venus, or O morning star, son of the morning, okay? How you are cut down to the ground. See, he wanted to exalt his throne above God's throne. He wanted to be the morning star who Jesus is at the day that the morning star dawns in your heart and he was cast to the earth. So God's being sarcastic when he calls him morning star. The King James Bible uses the word Lucifer, uses the Latin term, and that's when it became his name. If you want to translate this directly over, let's read a little bit more of this, and then I want to bring up the Strong's Concordance, and I'll show you the, the word in the Strong's Concordance. It says, how you are cut down, uh, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, morning star. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. He not only wants, he wants to be like the most high. And Jesus is God. You shall be brought down to Sheol. You want to be lifted up? You shall be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness? and destroyed its cities, who did not open his house, the, the house of his prisoners, and, and, and it goes on. But let me do this. Let me go ahead and, and get back to this main screen here. And then let me go ahead and pull up my Strong's Concordance. And then I gotta go to Isaiah. So just give me a second here. And I think that you can be able to see it a little bit clearer here, that it's not his name, that God is, is, is mocking him with it. And it's the King James Bible really that made this mistake of using the Latin term Lucifer. And we see that clearly here in the Strong's Concordance, which starts off with King James. All right. So let me just go ahead and bring it in here for you. Um, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Or how art there cut down to the ground to the dust that weakens the nations? Then I'm going to click on the word Lucifer. And it tells us there the word, and it tells us what it came from. It's a sense of brightness, the morning star, Lucifer. And then I'm going to click on where it came from, 1849, a primitive root to be clear, um, to shine, hence, to make, to show, to boast, to be foolish, to rave. So the word uh, for Venus or the morning star came from all of these things. All right. Let me see if I can go back. And um, now in verse 12 again, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So I'm going to click on son of the morning. And let's just go here. So dawn, early, light, morning, hence. So, O morning star, son of the morning. And I believe that this is, again, mocking 
from his uh, from him wanting to exalt his throne above the throne of God, and it's not his name. Now, I, I wish I had the other passage where it says that Jesus would be is the morning star is going to dawn in your heart. Let me see if I can find that really quick. Let me just do it this way. I think this is the quickest way to do it. Morning star dawn in your heart scripture. And let me see. Let me see if I came up here. Stop. Stop. First uh, Peter one. Um, no. All right. Well, if someone can find that and uh, throw that up on the screen um, and, and we get back to it, then I'll take a look at that. But Lucifer, I do not believe was his name. We don't know his name, which is awesome that we don't know the arch enemy, the serpent of old, the dragon, um, Satan and all of his, his minions will be cast into hell and we don't know his name. We, we, uh, we know the name of, um, we know the name of, of Michael and Gabriel and others, but we don't know his name and I think that's great. So Lucifer is the name for Venus and is not the name for Satan. I think God's mocking him there. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and get a question here from Gloria. Gloria, good to see you. Gloria says, hello, uh, hi, uh, hello, Pastor Robert. When do you uh, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can you provide biblical evidence to share with the family and friends? Thank you, Pastor, praying for you and your wife. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, when do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There seems to be some question as to this exact term. We don't ever find the term baptism of the spirit used in scripture. There is a reference to it when they are asked if they receive the Holy Spirit and they say we've only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So that seems like people use baptism of the spirit, but we don't ever find it in the Bible other than that place where it's kind of a side reference to it. The Bible does talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon you to empower you. We see that in Acts 1.8 and throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and empowers them, empowers them, empowers them. And that may be the best description of what we refer to, Gloria, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't have any problem, by the way, with calling it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what I mean by that first. And then we'll talk about um, what scriptures we can use. So I believe that before we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit is, is with us. And he is convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And I think that's John 14, which explains that. So he's there with us. Before I came to Christ, no one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the spirit of God. So his spirit had to be moving in my life. And then when I came to Christ, I received the Holy Spirit. Before his disciples were ever baptized in the spirit in Acts 1.8, and later on in Acts chapter two, during the day of Pentecost, Jesus breathed on them in the end of the book of John and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Pentecost experience yet, but they had the Holy Spirit. And I think that's their salvation moment. I think that's the moment they move from the Old Testament to the New Testament when he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So then the Holy Spirit comes upon them as they tarry in Jerusalem, and that's Acts chapter two, and that's what we would call the baptism of the Spirit. I don't think there's any problem calling it that. Uh, some call it receiving, the overflowing, the indwelling, um, the upon experience. Uh, there's all kinds of different experiences to talk about it. But what I mean by that is when I came to Christ, I gave my life to him and I was transformed. But after that, somebody prayed with me and asked that I would receive the Holy Spirit. And I received a second experience is the best way to describe it for me, where the Holy Spirit began to move in my life in power. It was something deeper it was something more profound. Now, there are cessationists who believe that this is not an event that happens. But in, I think it's Acts chapter 8, there's a group of people that haven't received the Holy Spirit. While I'm talking to you about this, I'm going to go and see if I can find this. So Acts chapter 8, where a group of people haven't received the Holy Spirit. 
And James and John go to them and ask them if they've received the Holy Spirit. And they say, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. So let me just see if I can get there and uh, then put it up on the screen. All right. By the way, just so you guys know, we're adding to our studio here and we've got a second camera that I can look at and talk to that I don't use because I just forget about it when I get talking about these things. Um, So you'll see the side camera popping on from every now and then. And we're doing some other things as well. But Acts chapter eight, um, let me see where we're at here. Um, Christ is preached in Samaria, the sorcerer's faith, sorcerer's sin. That may be after the Holy Spirit. Um, All right, let's go back to, um, yeah, let's go back here and read a little bit of this. This might not be the passage I'm thinking of, but let's just check, all right? So um, we'll start it and I'll bail out of it if it's the wrong passage. But there was certain men called, a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed and least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God, and heeded him because he had astonished with his sorceries. But when the believed, when they believed Philip and the preaching concerning the kingdom of God, yeah, I'm going to bail out of this because this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. Let me just take a couple more seconds to look at this and see if I can find when James and John go to Jerusalem. Yeah. I got to find that text. So, all right, let me just check this. This is after the persecution of, um, of Paul, and it's still in Acts chapter 8. Let me see if this is the right one. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city and preached to them. And the multitudes, according to he did this, those things spoke to them. Ah, this isn't this isn't where it's at. It might be a little bit later on here. Um, I'm looking specifically for where Philip goes and preaches to them and they get saved. But then Peter and John go there and it might be in the next chapter. Uh, and maybe it's in this chapter. I'm just not finding it. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And they speak in tongues. And it's a sign, it's a miracle uh, that, that this happened. Maybe that's under Philip here. I'm specifically thinking when, when James and John go there. Anyway, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings gifts and empowering. And you can see that as you read throughout the book of Acts. You see this upon experience over and over again. Like when they were forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus. They gather together the church and they pray. Lord, consider their threats. And um, you created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them and give us boldness. And the room that they are in is shaken and they are given boldness to preach the word of God. And it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so that's that upon experience. And um, I think that um, I wish I could find that passage. Sometimes, you know, just looking for things off the top of your head, you're not able to find it. It's where Peter and John, I'm just going to go to Acts 9 and see if it's there. I don't think it is. I don't think it's 7. What am I? Um, Yeah, Acts 9. Yeah, it's not there. So hopefully I'll be able to find that, Gloria, and be able to get back to you on that. But that is the passage that I would go to. It's where John, James and John go, I believe it's Samaria, and there are those that have not received the Holy Spirit. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And they pray for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And um, that's where we find the baptism of the Holy Spirit to people after the day of Pentecost who are new converts. And we believe that we ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're asking God to fill us, not just once, but again and again, that he would, that he would continue to fill us, that he would keep filling us. Uh, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? So I do believe that we can ask for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already been given to us when we're born again, but we want the Holy Spirit to overflow us. We want the baptism. That's kind of the idea of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're just immersed in it. And we want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, which is what the term baptism means. All right, so sorry I couldn't find that verse there for you to give your friends. Maybe a little bit of research, uh, you'll be able to find it. I know I will a little bit later on today. All right, so thank you, Gloria. Thank you for joining us and thank you for asking your question. If you're joining us here for the first time, really good to have you here. 
you can put the word question or write a question out, write out your question, make sure it makes sense. And what you're asking what you want to ask, then go ahead and submit it. And um, we will take a look at your question. So we have a question from Tim. Tim joins us from Facebook. Tim says, uh, when people die, are they in the heaven that is mentioned in Revelation? Or is that a new heaven that is built after the white throne judgment? Um, no, it's not a new heaven. In the, when people die and are in the presence of God, they go where he is now. To be absent from this flesh is to be present with his body, and that is in heaven now. That's the heaven that we're going to see. If you want to get a better picture of it, then look at um, Revelation chapter 4. That's the heaven that they're going into and the heaven we are going to go into. Um, the new heaven and the new earth I've always taken to be this earth and the atmosphere that's around it. Not a new heaven where God dwells. I think that heaven will stay the same. Now, again, you know, it's like, I've discovered that I've been wrong before when I, I believe something for years and then read a couple of passages and go, oh, that's not what it's saying. But I believe that the new heaven and the new earth are this earth and the heavens around it and that the heaven that Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain and to be absent from this body is to be present with God, that you will be in the intermediate state in heaven the same heaven we will be in when we are raptured from this earth and we find ourselves in heaven um, with every tongue, every tribe, every nation singing and worshiping praise to the, the living God. And um, it's a it's a pretty amazing count, account. I hate to go to another one like I got it wrong, like I did with the Acts um, 8 one, but I know it's four. Um, and let's just go ahead and read a little bit of this just because it's great to read this passage here. So uh, it says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, which I believe is the door representing the door to the Philadelphians. Um, I have kept you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the earth. I've set before you an open door. He looks up and he sees an open door in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. I believe that's the rapture of the church, the time of the rapture in Revelation. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. And he who sat on it was like Jasper and Sardis and stones and appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne and appearance like emerald. This is all the throne that's there today and will be there when we get there. Um, around them were 24 elders and on their thrones. And I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their head and from their throne proceeding lightnings, thunders and voices. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. Seven lamps of the fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Uh, there's a question for you. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and all around were living creatures with eyes in the front and the back. And the second living creature like a calf. And so these are describing the creatures that are seen in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And it goes on to talking about worship here. Here's what the angels say. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And um, I want to get to our song. So it says, 24 elders before the throne who sat on the throne worshiped him uh, who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before him saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you are, for you created all things by your will. They were created and they exist. What a chapter and um, what a great text for us to go to, to consider the heaven and earth that are around today. So yeah, uh, Tim, when someone dies here, they go there. And I don't know that that will ever be a new heaven like that heaven, but the new heavens and the new earth are this earth and the heaven that we see where birds fly around in, maybe the universe where the, the, the planets and stars are, but not the heavens, which is the third heaven, where God actually exists and dwells. All right, Tim, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate it. Good to see you guys here. And thank you again, um, Jari, and um, our, our thank you again, Daniel, uh, Keith, and Tyler for coming on and moderating this. Albert, good to see you. 
So um, let me just go down here and see if I got any more questions. It's been good uh, on this special day for us uh, to, to take time and consider. It's a special day for us because it's a Tuesday. We normally do this on Wednesdays, but I'm off tomorrow and didn't want to miss the Q&A that was connected uh, back, um, was connected to our last message. So um, thank you again here. Um, we have a question from Daniel and um, we got just a little bit more time. So maybe we can take a couple more questions. How can we understand the goodness in the punishment for evil forever in hell instead of being removed from existence? Do we just not really understand just how evil evil is? So I'm going to take it the evil you're talking about here is Satan and the demonic forces. And there is an in-house discussion about annihilationism and eternal punishment. And there is a minority of Christians who believe in annihilationism. That is that, that the, the best thing that's said in heaven, I mean, it's the best thing that's ever said about hell is that someone perishes. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever would believe in him would not perish. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way um, that leads to life. And so he used terms like destruction and punishment. And so people do argue over, is there are some people that just don't exist anymore. Maybe people that have never had a chance to know Christ. And once somebody knows, then they'll live with their experiences forever and ever. And the Bible isn't really clear on all of this. Uh, it, it's, it's pointed out that when the when it talks about the smoke of their torment going up forever and ever, it doesn't say their torment forever and ever. Although I believe that the case can be built for hell being eternal. And I'm, I'm just going to take it that you say Satan and his angels. Maybe you're talking about people. Um, yeah, I think to some degree we don't understand how evil evil is. I mean, in reality, we talk, I always qualify by saying by human standards, you can be good. And there are good people here. I tell that to the church. By human standards, some people are bad and some people are evil. But next to God, we're all evil. We have evil in our hearts. We're self-seeking. We're narcissistic. This is, we're selfish. We've taken advantage of people. We've done things that are evil in the sight of God, even though we've justified it in our own sight. And so I don't think that we understand the depths of evil, Daniel. I don't. And um, <clears throat> I think that Satan and his angels, remember, hell was created for them. And then death and Hades are cast into hell, which was made for Satan and his angels. And I don't think that we understand how completely awful that torment is. So thank you very much, Daniel, for your question. It's a good one. And a lot of depth. Maybe I spent time talking about some things that you weren't even asking questions about. Uh, fact checks these these hands as a question. And it is, I have a hard time wrapping my head around how some people choose to reject Christ in the millennium kingdom. Can you share your thoughts? Yeah, I can. Um, so Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden given all the fruits that they could have to eat. And they chose to deliberately sin, to deny, to, to deny God's word, to take the fruit and eat it. And then there's a world that has had sinful men ever since. And some people can say, well, it's the environment. People do bad things because they grow up in bad environments. And if we have a perfect environment, you're going to grow up to be a better person. Now, this doesn't always correlate. Sometimes people have grown up in great environments, been very successful, had very loving parents, have turned out to be very evil people. And so God, for a thousand years, fulfills the promises of Israel, Israel getting to rule, Jesus ruling on the throne of David, over Jerusalem, us ruling with him during those thousand years. And it's, it's reverted back to the the time before the flood when lives were longer and the, and the wolf lies down with the lamb, the wolf lies down with the lamb. Um, 
And so the um, Satan is then released. Why is he released? Because if they've been in a perfect environment, can they be tempted now? Well, they choose again to rebel against God. And this whole rebellion thing is very is a lot shorter than the original one, right? So it's wrapped up rather quickly. They rebel. They come against God. They come against Jerusalem to fight against Jesus. And um, it's Gog and Magog. And are these titles? Are these names? Are they places? All those are questions. Um, but again, that is when Satan has been loosed from the bottomless pit for, for a thousand years and people rebel once again. So your question here, let me make sure I've got it. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around how some people choose to reject Christ in the millennial kingdom. Your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts are Adam and Eve did it as well. And that God is proving the point that it is not, um, that it is not environment. It's the, the heart of man. And that we can make a decision even in a great environment to walk away. And think about Adam and Eve chose to do it and they didn't have a sin nature. These people living in the millennium have a sin nature and see Jesus on the throne, and they will do it as well. All right, so thank you very much. Uh, fact check these hands. By the way, I have a hard time getting my head around all of those things as well. I sometimes think, why don't people follow Jesus today? Why don't they choose to believe Jesus today rather than seeking their own way? But I know the God of this world is blinding their eyes, and that's why we need to be the light of the world to go out and make a difference. Uh, so we have a question that's 601. This is going to be our last question for today. Uh, thank you guys for joining me here today. I appreciate you moderators who took time out of your day to come and do this special uh, Q&A on a Tuesday. So our last question is, uh, we are saved by grace. Amen. And it's, it's a Teva. Is that how you say your name? Teva, I think. All right. But our works are judged in the end. Okay. Yeah. Our works are judged. They're tested with fire and we either receive rewards or we don't. Does that mean there will be some from the social? Uh, I'm not sure what that is. E econ, Eklon up there. Not sure what that is. Sorry. We'll have more jewels, bigger mansions, etc. Will that cause jealousy? Questions from my daughter who loves to listen to your Q and A's. Well, hello. Teva's daughter, who loves to listen to our Q&As. These are great questions, by the way, and ones that I've had. We, not that long ago, taught on heavenly rewards. And we have a Q&A coming out. We have a hot topic coming out this week all about our heavenly rewards. And we it's a, it's a shorter teaching. If you know what our hot topics are, you can find them on YouTube. They're also up on Facebook. But we've got coming out, I don't know if it's scheduled for Saturday or tomorrow, but we've got a hot topic coming out on have all about heavenly rewards. Maybe it's next Monday. Now I'm thinking about it. It is. It's next Monday. All about heavenly rewards. And we answer all these questions. But let me just see if I can do my best here. Um, does this mean that there will be some who will, uh, in, this, in the social workings up in heaven, are they going to be poor and rich because they're walking around with jewels? And around with jewels. And, and I'm sorry to do this for you, Tevius Child, because I just don't know. It, some talk about rewards being crowns, and I cover it in that video. Uh, and it's uh, maybe already up as a premiere. You can go and, and click on it to get it when, when it comes up. Just click on where the premiere is on our YouTube page, and you can get that one. But some say it's five crowns. But the only crown that seems to be a reward is the crown of glory. And are we going to be walking around with crowns on up in heaven? Or are we going to cast them at the feet of Jesus? Here's one of my thoughts. Maybe the rewards that I have from the work that I do for him that's been with the right motive and the right heart, maybe the rewards are for me to be able to take what jewels I have and to now offer them to Christ. Because all of my works that were genuinely done for him, I received a reward for, and now I want to offer them back to Christ again. Maybe it's a way for God to honor us because we've had the right heart, the right motives, because we're doing our good works in such a way that men can see our good works and they can glorify God. Uh, I don't have a passage for that. Um, I just see the 24 elders casting their golden thrones before the Lord. And I think, huh, maybe God has something in mind there. 
And maybe that's why I want to do the ministry I do with the right heart, not selfishly, not out of selfish ambition, not narcissistically, but seeking God, serving him, serving others. All right. So thank you very much for your question. It's a great one. Um, I don't think there'll be any jealousy in heaven, by the way, just to finish answering the questions. Um, Whatever happens up there, I don't think there'll be any jealousy if there is any kind of different ranking system that comes from the things that we've done here. All right. So God bless you guys. Really good to see you. Glad to spend this hour with you. I hope you guys have a great week. Would you pray for me and my wife this coming up week? All right. God bless you. I love you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, Stay close to Jesus. Uh, This coming up Wednesday night, a friend of mine is going to be teaching at the church, Dan Swanson. He's the pastor of Calvary Midtown. You guys are going to be blessed by him. He's a hoot. He's a riot. You're going to love him. All right. And um, this weekend, Pastor Pat Lazovich from Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista, a very good friend of mine as well, will be coming down to teach. Um, One of the best teachers that I know handles the word of God so incredibly well. All right. So God bless you guys. Have a great week. I'm sure I'll be on, by the way, again, with another Q&A before the end of this week and um, maybe even a couple of live hot topics. All right. So we're looking at those. God bless you guys. I am signing out.